Zephaniah chapter 2. Again, book of Zephaniah. You don't hear a whole lot of preaching from this book. I think it's important to make sure we understand all the Bible. And the more we know about these books, the more it can help us have just an overall understanding of all things biblical. And so, uh, in the subject of Bible prophecy, uh, or or in Bible study, a very unexplored uh, subject are prophecies against other nations. There's a lot of our a lot of prophecies about other nations. For example, in Ezekiel, there's a bunch of prophecies about other nations. And you know what? If everybody's going to be honest, when you're reading a lot of those prophecies, you kind of get a little bored and you start to daydream a little bit, and you just get through it because it's in your Bible reading. But understand, you know those uh, those prophecies were re- very relevant during those times because those were prophecies against nations that were enemies of Israel and Judah. So when they're talking about all the abominations that are going on in Edom or whatever city they're talking about, Moab, places like that, um, it would have been very relevant to the people in Israel in those days. These are their enemies. These are people that are causing them problems. The Bible does not always record in detail what all was going on um, with other nations during those specific times. So it's kind of easy for us to just, you know, let a lot of things go over our head. And there are a lot of details. If you want to do a deep dive on that, you can, you can learn a few things for sure. But it makes those prophecies difficult because we don't always know what was going on. And there's a lot of, a lot of those things were probably fulfilled <clears throat> during the time when the Babylonians came and took over. Some of the prophecies were probably fulfilled when the Assyrians came through against these other nations. And so God... He used the Babylonians not just to judge Judah, but even some of the uh, nations around them. And what's sad about it for Israel, you know, if they would have just gotten right with God, if they had been obedient to God, God could have used the Babylonians to take care of all their enemies, and then God could have protected them from the Babylonians, and they could have been on top. But they participated in the sins of the heathen. They often followed the gods of the Moabites and the Ammonites. And so they weren't going to be spared the judgment that came when they were guilty of doing the same things. And so these are difficult prophecies. And what's even more difficult is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Because if we're going to understand the fulfillment of those prophecies, the Bible doesn't always record it. We would actually be dependent on history. And history from that time, you don't know how reliable it all is. But... uh, I do think this is where it's important to understand, like we talked about last week, the interpretation of a prophecy versus the application of a prophecy. And I believe when it comes to prophecies like this one that we're about to read, it made a ton of sense to the people that it was given to. These people were dealing with problems in that generation from those nations. This would have sent a very clear message to Judah, but I think God was also letting them know He was going to punish them too. But He would also be punishing the wicked nations that had been a thorn in the flesh to His people. The difference is, hope is offered to Judah. When we see a lot of the prophecies against Judah and all the prophets, you'll often see like you know a lot of doom and gloom, but there was often a message of hope added too. There was a message of restoration that was added that was going to come someday. There were messianic prophecies in there where whenever it's focusing on the other nations, it's just doom and gloom. It was just trouble for them. And so, 
you know, the difference, yeah, so the difference between the prophecies towards other nations, no hope really offered. When it came to the prophecies towards Judah, hope was offered, uh, or it was uh, mentioned. So the other nations were not his people, so they were in bigger trouble. God dealt with the people, the nations that were not his, harsher than he did his own. And, uh, and there's a reason for that. And so because I can't necessarily prove to you how all these prophecies were fulfilled, and because I, you know, I will admit, I do not know what all was going on with those nations historically, what I'm going to do in this message as we go through chapter 2 is we're going to mainly focus on application rather than interpretation. Because we'll talk about interpretation a little bit, but we're mainly going to make an application. So while this prophecy is without a doubt prophesying literal judgments on literal nations during that time, there is without a doubt an application that can be made and the fulfillment of those things that took place in that day. They, have a, they were a shadow of some things that God is going to do someday in the future. People are not wrong to use this passage and talk about the future. There is an application to be made even though it was directly about things in those days. And so I don't think there's too many people out there who would claim that all the prophecies that were about all the other nations in the Old Testament have all been completely fulfilled. Some definitely were, but some seem to only have been partially fulfilled. And I don't think many would deny that while some had a physical fulfillment, that there's a spiritual fulfillment that's still to come and vice versa. For example, the destruction of Babylon. Okay? Did you know Babylon, the city of Babylon, was destroyed? You know, it was the, the physical city of Babylon that came and was destroying everybody. It was destroyed. It was wiped out, just like God said. But Revelation also talks about the destruction of Babylon. There's one that's to come. And I believe it's a spiritual Babylon, you could say. You could say. And so the application we can make from this chapter is just like God judged the enemies of his people in the Old Testament, God will deal with the enemies of his people in the future as well. The people who are our enemies. Okay, not just our own personal enemies who just get on our nerves. No, I'm talking about the enemies of the gospel. I'm talking about people who are trying to hinder the work that we do as Christians, the things that we are trying to do for the kingdom of God. God is going to destroy them in the future, and we're looking forward to that day. So let's go and start going through this chapter. So verse 1 says, Gather yourselves together, yea, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Judgment is coming on the earth. And like Zephaniah, you know what? We should be warning our world about judgment that's to come. I, I, I just recorded a podcast uh, yesterday that I'm going to be playing this week about the most important, uh, uh, the mo- one of the most important things we need to get from prophecy that nobody talks about. The real purpose of Bible prophecy is showing that God is going to judge sin. Now, what good is it if we know timelines and uh, we know how certain prophetic events are going to play out if we are not actually repenting of the sins that God called for people to repent of? 
There, in, in all the prophecies, there are messages about godliness and living for the Lord. And you, we don't want to talk about those things. You want to know why there's a blessing from reading Revelation? It's not because you will have greater knowledge than everybody about what is to come. No, there's actually specific commands in there. In, in, the, to the, uh, in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches, he's calling on them to repent of some things. He's giving them, he's commending good things that they did. We should learn from those things. And practice those things. We see later in the book of Revelation when God's pouring out judgment, you know, there it talks about how they're not repenting of their fornications and idolatries and all these different things. You know what we should learn from that? Not the order of the judgments, that God doesn't like fornication and adultery and, and idolatry and things like that. And if people, who cares how much you know about what is to come if you're still committing adultery, if you're committing fornication, if you're committing idolatry, you've missed the boat when it comes to all things prophetic. And, and so understand in prophecy, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but it's all coming for a reason. It's coming because of sin. And we are supposed to warn people of judgment so they can find deliverance. That's why we have these prophecies and let them motivate us to tell other people about what's to come so they can be spared in the day of judgment it says, seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment, seek righteousness, seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. Why is he giving them this prophecy? So they can be smart and know what's to come? No, so they will seek righteousness. So they will be meek. And maybe God will spare the judgment that's coming upon them. And so today, shouldn't we be telling people the same thing? Seek righteousness? Now, if we tell people to seek righteousness, how do they find righteousness? By believing on Christ. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. If, if prophecy doesn't motivate you to go soul winning, then you're not, learning, you're not learning what you're supposed to learn from prophecy. And you know what? There's a lot of prophecy experts out there, so-called, self-proclaimed prophecy experts, that aren't that interested in soul winning. You know what? They're not interested in prophecy. They're interested in making themselves look smart and making it look like they know a few things. No, we ought to use the fact that we know what's coming because we understand judgment is coming. That's supposed to motivate us to go and tell people, hey, you need to seek righteousness and you can only find righteousness through Jesus Christ. We've got to be telling people about Jesus. That's an application that we can make. And so obviously the interpretation of this passage is not, is not for individuals of the world to believe on Christ, but for the people of those days to repent of their wicked ways like Nineveh had done in the past. What we're seeing here is several years after Jonah preached to Nineveh. In fact, the judgment that Nineveh was spared, it was only spared during that time. Over 120 years later, that judgment eventually came on them, and that judgment that was coming for Nineveh, it was going to come shortly after this prophecy was given. Nineveh still has things to deal with because of their sin. And so, and, and Nineveh is going to be mentioned in this chapter. And so they still have judgment coming. It was just waiting for the next generation because the previous generation had repented. And so they were spared. But obviously this generation did not repent. So now all these names that are about to be mentioned are familiar names from stories in the Old Testament. These were all enemies of Israel who caused them a lot of great problems. So, um, and we're not going to go into all the examples of them. Uh, we're we're going to look at a couple. But notice verse 4. It says, For Gaza shall be forsaken, 
and Ashkelon a desolation. They shall drive out Ashdod at the noonday, and Ekron shall be rooted up. Woe unto the inhabitants of the sea coast, the nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan. Of the land of the Philistines, I will even destroy thee, that there shall be no inhabitant. And so while God had given Israel many great victories over these people, understand that none of them till this point had been, that are mentioned had been completely destroyed. They were all still around and they deserved judgment. These nations are mentioned a lot in the Old Testament because they, uh, while in the geographic location of Israel, understand within that geographic location, there were still Canaanites that were in those areas that they hadn't completely driven out. And so those people were always a thorn in their flesh. And we read a lot of stories throughout the Old Testament where they're going to battle with these people. A lot of these nations that it would refer to that they were going to battle with, sometimes they were surround, ones that surrounded their border, but sometimes they were ones that were within their borders that they were just never able to get rid of. And so it says in verse 6, And the sea coast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah. They shall feed thereupon in the house of Ashkelon, and they shall lie down in the evening, for the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. And again, I can't possibly do justice to this chapter to help show the significance of all that's being said and what it would have meant to Judah in that day, because it would take a long time to show everything and all the history this mentioned but here let me just give a couple examples and if you really ever want to do a deep dive on this go ahead uh no study of the bible is going to hurt you okay i mean but it's it's one that i've not taken the time to go real deep into but first Samuel 6 16 says and when the five lords of the philistines had seen it they returned to ekron the same day and these are the golden emeralds which the philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the lord for ashdod one for gaza one for Ascalon one, for Gath one, and for Ekron one. So notice these nations that are being mentioned, these were ones that involved the Philistines. We see a ton of stories with the Philistines. They were a constant thorn in the flesh to Israel. They had went during the time of Samuel, and they went and they stole the Ark of the Covenant. That was a horrible time for Israel when that went down. They had many great battles. We, had, we know the story of David and Goliath. They were always having battles with these people, there was a serious hatred that they had for these people. Look at what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19. This is right after Saul and Jonathan were killed. And David is speaking. David is upset and sad about the loss of Jonathan and Saul. And it says, The beauty of Israel is slain upon the high, thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon. Let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice. Let the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. So why is he saying that here? Because it all, it's always bad when bad things happen to you. But the last thing you want is for your mortal enemy to find out about it and take pleasure in it. Isn't that, doesn't that make it worse sometimes? When something bad happens to you, the last thing you want is for your enemies to find out about it. And so here this terrible thing happens in Israel where their king dies and David is like, don't publish that in Gath. You know, don't let them know about that in Ascalon. If they do, the Philistines are going to be thrilled. They're going to be happy. You know, and, and you know, that's probably not the best attitude to have, but I think we can all relate with it. 
It's kind of like, you know, I mean, you know, who are the biggest enemies of our church? The sodomites, right? And, you know, they, they would love nothing more than to hear bad news from our church and to hear about any kind of difficulty or struggle. And, you know, and we don't want to have an attitude of trying to hide hard times because we're afraid of what our enemy is going to say. Because, you know what, I've just learned, and this is, this is in the Bible, this is another subject for another day, but when an enemy rejoices over bad things that are happening to them, that will cause God to turn away his anger. And that will make God angry at them. So that in reality, if we really want to get the sodomites, we should want them to know when bad things happen. Because they will rejoice. And then they will get in trouble. But then we got to be careful about rejoicing too. Because, you know, we just, we, just, we just need to just trust God. And, you know, because let's just face it. God's going to take care of the sodomites. God's going to take care of our enemies. We don't necessarily, we got to be careful about wanting to see these things and getting anxious to see these things. Because here's the thing about it too. While God's going to deal with the sodomites, he's not going to do it in our time. So um, we just need to just trust God with that stuff and just not even worry about it. He will not do it in our time. If he was doing it in our time, he would do it today. Or not, I'm too busy today. I'd rather him do it tomorrow when I can watch, be, you know, pay, focus on the news and watch, uh, watch it go down. That's my will. That's not God's, that's not God's will, though. We've got to watch out for that. But um, I show you this verse about what David said just to show you know, the history of hostility between these nations. And this is hundreds of years later. These people still have not been completely destroyed, but God is about to bring serious judgment on them. Israel had some very bitter wars with these people and they never got over it. So even though Judah was in trouble, they at least had hope of a restoration and it would have been, it would have been good news for them to know God was going to punish their enemies too. This would have also caused them to regret getting involved with the sins of their enemies. That was one of the mistakes Israel made a lot in their history is sometimes they got too friendly with their enemies and they got too involved with their enemies and they would start, you know, giving their daughters to their sons for wives and vice versa. And they would start serving their gods and it would cause them to have peace during that time. But then the same judgment that was coming for them was now coming on Israel too. And you know what? Let's remember that too, in case we ever get tempted to start teaming up with the world, being more friendly with the world. You know, we don't want to get tired. You know, and I don't like being disliked. But at the same time, if we compromise and we make peace with these people, understand we're going to partake in their judgment as well. What do you think would happen if we made peace with the Sodomites? If we just apologize and like, listen, we took it too far. You know what? We we're sorry. You know, listen, you know what? I, I, I don't I don't want to pretend to be God. But I guarantee it, if we did that, I'll bet we'd start turning, we'd probably start raising some sodomites in here. I believe if you're saved, you're never going to become a sodomite. But some of these little kids in here, if, if they grow up around preaching and in a church that accepts that kind of wickedness, I'll bet we start turning out some sodomites. And then you know what? That, and these kids who are part of our church, they will be partakers of the judgment that's coming on the sodomites. So, you know, we're, we, we can't do that. We can't do it. It might bring us some temporary peace in our time. We might stop getting canceled on social media and things like that. 
But either way, we're going to deal with the wrath of God if we do that. Judgment's going to come on us. So we can't do it. We can't do it. And so as Israel is hearing all these judgments on these other nations, but they, and, and they're hearing it's because of their idolatry and all fornication and all these things, and then they're hearing about them too, there would be no question of why are we getting judged. No, they understood we participated in all that stuff. We compromised with these people. And you know what? If we'd have stayed faithful, if we'd have done right, it'd just be our enemies all getting destroyed. But now we're getting in trouble too. So they, I guarantee you they regretted it at this point. So verse 8, I have heard the reproach of Moab and the revilings of the children of Ammon, whereby they have reproached my people and magnified themselves against their border. Therefore, as I live, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, surely Moab shall be as Sodom and the children of Ammon as Gomorrah and the breeding of nettles and salt pits and a perpetual desolation. The residue of my people shall spoil them and the remnant of my people shall possess them. Now, this part would be really good news for them. And the Moabites, and the Ammonites, those are the two nations that came from Lot. And these nations were also a major thorn in the flesh for Israel. They had a lot of battles against the Moabites and the Ammonites. So they would have liked this part. This would be good. It says, This shall they have for their pride, because they have reproached and magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth. The men shall worship him, everyone from his place, even all the isles of the heathen. Ye Ethiopians also, ye shall be slain by my sword. And he will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria and will make Nineveh a desolation and dry like a wilderness. And so, again, this is all after the prophecy of Jonah. Nineveh still has judgment coming. But he mentions Ethiopia. He He mentions the Moabites, the Ammonites. These were all enemies of Israel. People who had caused them a lot of problems. Verse 14. And flocks shall lie down in the midst of her. All the beasts of the nations, both the cormorant and the bittern, shall lodge in the upper lintels of it. Their voice shall sing in the windows. Desolation shall be in the thresholds. He shall uncover the cedar work. Basically saying the people are going to be gone and just the creatures of the earth are going to be living in there. And, you know, have you, have you ever seen that abandoned house before and there's like animals and cats and things living in it? Back when I did home preservation, I went to a house like that one time that was just full of cats. Just tons of cats living in It was absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. And so, uh, you know, that's what, you know, you do. You leave a house long enough, uh, creatures are going to take over. And that's what was going to happen in these places. It says, this is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there is none beside me. How has she become a desolation, a place for beasts to lie down in? Everyone that passeth by her shall hiss, and wag his head. And I love that because God hates pride. Okay? And just, you know what? I'm thankful the homos use the term pride. Because it is. It's just a remind, you know, God deals with pride in a very special way. And so it's a reminder to me when I hear them talking about pride of what's coming for them. And I'm talking about them too because they are definitely our enemies. Without a doubt, they are our enemies, they are our number one persecutors and, you know, homos and homo sympathizers. They're, they're just kind of the, they're kind of the number one. And notice how it mentions, so these are people that were lifted up with pride. These were people who thought that they were great. 
But yet, he's saying people are going to go by and they're going to wag their head. And, and you know what? That's what God's going to do with Satan one of these days. The Bible talks about how Satan, who said, you know, I will ascend. He get, did all the I wills. He said, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look at thee. Is this the man that deceived the nations? You know, when we see the devil, we're going to be shocked he was able to do anything. You know why? Because at that point, we'll have seen Jesus. And once we've seen Jesus, you know, right now, we, the thought of the devil can kind of be scary. And I don't think that's, uh, you know, I, I don't think we ought to have an arrogant attitude towards the devil. But understand, we, don't, we shouldn't be scared of him because we have Christ. But that takes faith because we haven't seen him. When we have seen them both, we will be like, how did we ever let him accomplish anything? And, he, and we will see him cast into hell, helpless. You know, he, he's nothing compared to God. And people are going to wag their head at him. And you know what? It's going to be the same thing too. The wicked that are out there, one of these days, people are going to look, they are going to wag their head. And so the, ap- so the interpretation of this chapter is God is prophesying judgment that was coming on the nations that were an enemy to Israel and Judah. This was stuff that had been coming for these people for hundreds of years. It was finally about to come. But at the same time, judgment was coming for Judah as well. They weren't going to be escaping anything because they had participated in the sins of their enemies. So what is the application that we can make from this chapter? Well, first off, this is about the day of the Lord that was coming on Judah and Jerusalem. But you know what? It's a reminder that the day of the Lord is coming on all the earth. There is a global day of the Lord that's coming. The individuals of this world, you know what they need to do? They need to seek righteousness. They need to seek righteousness. And we understand they can only find true righteousness in Jesus Christ. Our world needs to be saved. We need to be like the prophet. And we need to be calling the world to repentance. We need to be calling people to Jesus Christ. We must be out there actively proclaiming his name. Again, everybody wants to be a prophet. Everybody wants to be able to be the first one to say, I saw this coming before anybody else. But you know what? Those same clowns, they don't want to go tell people about Jesus and about seeking righteousness. That's the purpose of knowing these things. That is the whole point of knowing these things. When we understand judgment is coming, that is what tells, you know, you know uh, that's supposed to tell us Sin is bad, and people need to do what they can to get away from it and get that righteousness, and it only comes through Jesus Christ. Another application is God is going to destroy the enemies of his people. As if it has taken too long. I know, I know. In, in my opinion, it should have been taken care of a long time ago, but I'm not God. But you know what? Let's never do. Let's never do like Israel did. And compromise. A lot of these churches that are out there that have compromised, these churches that are going following the you know way of Cain and the way of, going the way of Balaam, and that are just doing what they have to do to you know continue being popular so they don't get canceled, they are going to partake in the judgment. And one of these days, when the judgment finally comes, what should have been a day of deliverance for these people is going to be a day of destruction for them because they didn't have patience, they didn't wait. They, they caved. They gave up. 
And we cannot do that. We can never give in to any of that temptation. We cannot compromise on these things. God is going to deal with his people. And let me tell you, you know, Israel, even when they did right, they were some pretty tough times that they went through. But you know, when these judgment days comes, when the reckoning comes, the day of visitation comes in every situation, the righteous never regret doing the right thing. Ever. And those who sin always regret it 100% of the time and we got to understand you know we are living in a time where there is a falling away we're we're living in a time where there is compromise that's going on where there's just that temptation to go along to get along but we have got to have the faith to believe God's word and to say no we will regret it if we go along we will regret it if we give up and we just need to just keep on being faithful no matter what happens no matter what happens, we've got to, we've got to stay faithful. And so, we another uh, application we can make is that we will be hid and protected in the day of the Lord's vengeance on earth. And, and I do. I believe that. I believe is it's my belief that the way God will protect us from His wrath when He pours it out in this world is He's going to take us out of the world, you know, in the rapture. That, that's that's how I believe. Uh, but but either way you look at it. God's going God's gonna to hide us. Wrath is not for us. He's not going to bring that us. And so, we who were a reproach, another thing, we, we who were a reproach will be exalted and the world will know that God loved us. Romans 10.11 says, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. And when we read this passage, we make application to about salvation, which is exactly what Paul was doing. But Paul is also, he's reading and quoting from Isaiah that was about national things too and about national judgments and things that were going on. And so we just need to understand, while we might have some shame that we deal with on this earth, we might suffer some reproach, we're going to have negative things said about us, those who have believed on Christ, we are not going to be ashamed at His coming. We'll be glad we did. Revelation 3, 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which will come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You know, there's a lot of people out there today who will try to tell us that we're not like Christ, that we're not biblical Christians. That, you know, God, that, you know, we're, you know, God doesn't love us. They'll say all those things about us. And, you know, most of that comes from the synagogue of Satan, too, and their propaganda and the people that they are pushing and prodding to mess with us. But, and, but, and, and understand, we saw this when we were in Skokie the other day. They are disgusted by us. They do not like us. They do not love us. They do not think that God loves us. But one of these days, God's going to make them come and worship before our feet and know that He loved us. That's what, God, that God, that's what God's going to do to them one of these days. So you know what? I don't care if they look down their nose at me. I don't care if they have that negative attitude right now. You know what? I'll try to change their mind. You know, we tried to preach in the Bible. You know, most of them didn't want to listen to anything we had to say. But either way, they will know the truth one of these days. So you know what we just got to do? We just got to keep holding out. We just got to keep staying strong. We got to keep doing what God said to do. 
the fate of our enemies is already written. It's, it's better than written in stone. It's, writ, it's contained in the Word of God. He's going to deal with them. And so we're waiting for that day. And in the meantime, let's be faithful and let's do what prophecy is supposed to do. Let it motivate us to live godly and tell other people how to find righteousness. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for this chapter and the hope that it gives us. I pray you help us to stay faithful. Help us not to compromise. Help us not to bend. Help us not to go along. Help us to trust your promises. Lord, you are going to deal with sin one of these days. Uh, you will exalt those who have done right and you're going to bring down those who are proud. And so help us to stay humble and to just stay, uh, stay faithful serving you and telling others about you. In your name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.